Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 underway, Monday edition with Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. No Chad Withrow today. He will be back with us later this week. He's uh, in recovery. Got Mr. Mom duty, I believe. Uh, is he in recovery from the weekend? So I hear. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I just know he has things to recover from. I got you. I got you. Uh, he'll be back with us uh, on Thursday of this week, I believe. I, th- I believe his wife is out of town. And uh, he, he'll need a recovery from being Mr. Yeah. Mom on Thursday when he gets back in studio he with will. us. He will. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The entire crew from Outkick making it happen for us behind the scenes, behind the cameras. Big show planned today. Four-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, Darren McCarty. He's going to be on the show with us coming up in hour number two. Uh, lots to discuss uh, on top of what's going to be a big event coming up in Detroit that he's a part of with Hall of Fame Health. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs going on, and while uh, many of these series, Paul, are tight, the games, games are, are not, not that tight, tight at, all. at all. These have been just blowouts, although we've been seesawing uh, winners and losers throughout these series, except for Colorado and Nashville, uh, a series that can end tonight here at Bridgestone Arena in Music City. Uh, in the final hour today, Mike Pereira, USFL uh, rules analyst and uh, Fox Sports rules analyst, he'll be on the show, scheduled to be with us today in hour number three. Always a great discussion with uh, Mike Pereira, the best when it comes to discussing all all kinds of football-related issues, but specifically NFL rules and notes with some of the crews changing over some new white hats some new officials referees in charge this year we'll get his take on that and what's been implemented across the usfl now halfway through the season things that he thinks can can catch on long term at the biggest level of the sport we'll get into that as well uh monday night football announced this morning paul we we knew there'll be a trickle of this cbs and fox over the next couple of days will announce a big game um, we will have Sunday night football announce it scheduled for NBC on Thursday. Today it was ESPN, ABC, and Monday night football with the doubleheader in week two. It includes the Vikings and the Eagles. That's the second night kickoff time. of week two on Monday night football. The first is Tennessee at Buffalo. So the Bills and Titans meet for the third consecutive season in prime time. And the fifth year in a row overall, Buffalo won the first two of those. Titans have won the last two. So I went to look up just what kind of a matchup Vegas sees this at, and I was surprised on FanDuel to find that Buffalo is not just a favorite to win the AFC, Buffalo is a favorite to win the Super Bowl right now. Um and Buffalo didn't have, a, you know, uh, Buffalo's made some changes, but Buffalo has not had a dramatic uh, overhaul. Buffalo's very good team last year. Lost, we know, the dramatic overtime, uh, overtime game at Kansas City, which wasn't even the AFC Championship game. It was a divisional round yeah. game. 
but they are um, the Bills are plus three fifty to win the AFC and plus six fifty to win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's pretty impressive. They drafted Elam, the cornerback, the running back James Cook, with their first two picks. The biggest ad, Von Miller, uh, apparently getting a, a lot of attention. That's a big gauge for the Titans, who uh, you know are their biggest offseason move. They're known for getting rid of AJ Brown in a trade, though they've brought in you know some 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 good supplementary help in Robert yeah. Woods, in Austin Hooper, uh, and Derrick Henry back back healthy. Won two games against them after a 16-day COVID layoff two years ago. A dramatic Tuesday night football win, non-traditional, <laughs> non-traditional Tuesday night football, and then last year. Go uh, a fourth and one stand at the three. Josh Allen slipped. Jeffrey Simmons came up the middle and stopped him short. Titans won by a, a field goal. Um, Buffalo was looking to, to go get a touchdown at the end of that game. Two very good, well, good for the Titans primetime games. But it's a, it's a very good AFC matchup. Yeah, and uh, right out of the gate, uh, it can determine a lot in the foothold of top seeds across the AFC based on what we saw last year. So, uh, that's week two. Keep in mind, week one, um, Thursday night is is an NBC game. It's going to be the Rams. And it's Sunday night football, in effect. Sunday night football broadcast on Thursday night. It's the defending Super Bowl champs uh, will host against one of their home opponents. Many thought it could be Buffalo, but traditionally, and, and who knows what the NFL thinks here, most of the time, the NFL does not have the team that faces off against the defending Super Bowl champs then turn around and play another primetime game on back-to-back weeks. So the Bills are playing at Los Angeles this year in the Rams, but it's, it's unlikely. It's a game. Yeah, unlikely they get it. that. Yeah, I, I think they, they look elsewhere for their, their marquee matchup. The Cowboys do play uh, L.A. this year. We'll find out if that's going to be uh, end up being their, their home opponent so or not So do we know one. the first Monday night game? No, I so have not seen that. So they announced the week two doubleheader, but not mm. the week one. So I guess each network is allowed really to kind of dictate what and, – and this this is a surprise that it's a doubleheader in week two. So it made news by announcing that it had two games and what those two games were. So drips and drabs now the next couple of days yep. by each network of something special it has. And then Thursday night, we well, fill out everything. I think they announced the doubleheader because last year they did not do the doubleheader. And they're bringing it back. However, there is a twist it's to typically this. Typically, week one. And we have mentioned this on the show. They they are going to stagger the kickoffs. Typically, the week one doubleheader is the first uh, game's very early. East Coast, West Coast, yeah. and this is going to stagger a seven fifteen Eastern kickoff in Buffalo with an eight thirty Eastern kickoff between Minnesota and Philadelphia. That game in Philly, and the. Uh, to me, this is a signal that they're going to eventually, and it's not clarified here if one's going to be on ABC and one's on yes, ESPN. Yes, it is. Oh, it uh, is? Titans are on ESPN, I believe, and the second game's on ABC. Okay. Or so, vice versa, but I, I'm pretty sure the Titans are on. I have it here. So it's, it's uh, simultaneous. For, for a roughly 90 minutes, you'll get two games on at the exact same time and, and have to cycle through which game you want to watch. And yeah, you know, Titans, Phil, Titans Philly Bills pick. is ESPN and Vikings okay. Eagles is ABC. So Philly will pull a big number. And if the Bills and Titans are tight, 
you're likely sticking with that game, which will be in the second half whenever the ABC game yeah. kicks off. Flipping back and forth, uh, halftime. This, this is something they want to go for where they have simultaneous crews and they own the primetime slot of Monday night each week. I could foresee, not this year, I could foresee um, ESPN and, and ABC eventually getting to a point where there are two two games every Monday. I, 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 it's a C, uh, CBA question, not a CBS question. A CBA question, too. I, I don't know if the league can do whatever it wants there, if it has to go to the players and say, hey, we've got an ad- additional Monday night. And, and maybe it wouldn't be every week. Maybe it would be, you know, like that Thursday night for a while was eight, eight yeah. weeks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's what they, they do. Have to have to put their toe in the water. Um, I've read somewhere lately, you know, I think Peter King was joking about it or, or, or Florio, you know, they'd like to get on every night of the week if they could. And Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday would be hard. But yeah. uh, everything else. And Friday night's not doable unless you do it early because of the – uh, up to a certain point in the season, you, you've got an obligation to stay off TV uh, because of high school and college football. I know many, many think it's, it's foolish to go doubleheader at the same time on Monday night. But if you think about it, if, they're, if you're doing do the doubleheader. Sunday header, afternoon, every year, yeah, I mean, every yeah. day. If you're doing the doubleheader, though, on the same network, are you taking away from one game? To, to me, the, the doubleheader to open the season, like they've traditionally done, you, they – Viewership for that second game is not all that great compared to the early kickoff. So if you're trying to gauge how do you get more viewers, is it by putting one on ABC and one on ESPN and for roughly a full half you have two games on at once and you get both second halves in prime time? Or is it you kick off one and then you feed into you know the, the Vegas kickoff, what was traditionally, I always thought the Oakland Raiders would always host uh, that second Monday night football game. But whatever it is, I mean, by the time you get to the second half of that game, it's midnight on the East Coast. So I think a lot of viewers tune out. Ideally, you get two great games. But also, because you're not flexing into Monday nights because of the logistics, those are the ones that are – and this is going to be the same case on Thursday night. You know, what looks good Thursday night when we get the entire schedule um, isn't necessarily good, you know, hell, if a, a quarterback twists his knee or whatever – and so this doubles your chances of getting a good game, first off. Sure. If you get two good games, great. If you don't, you've doubled your odds of getting one good game. And so we flip to the good game. And we get more of the good game, and then you watch some of the bad game if you're, if you're you know, parking in front of Monday Night Football like a lot of us will. Um, so I think there are a lot of advantages to it. The one thing I think most people don't want, I don't know, I, you and I – generally, uh, particularly when the Titans are home, are not sitting in front of that Sunday afternoon window. But I think you don't want to get to a point where you water down that Sunday afternoon early window where there's nothing good in it. I don't know. I'm not averse to it because I'm out of game. So I'd rather more games be out of that window so I could see more games. But I think America's still used to red zone now, maybe your team's in that window, maybe it's not, but you have a lot of options on Sunday still. How much do you want to get out? How diluted? How many games do you need in that early Sunday window? At least four? At least five? Yeah, well, you want the – I think what the networks want is to eventually just have – this is a bad way to term it. The bad the, regional the, games. The leftovers. In the first window. <laughs> you know, like half of the games are worthy of prime time. And then you have Everything the other, the other group. Noon, the, way they, the way they treat, treat week 18. 
But the games that don't have playoff implications generally kick off at noon. Get sandwiched in that window and everything and else every, goes somewhere better. All the playoff implicated games go to the 315 kickoff. They're either in they 315 all, or in, yeah. in one of the primetime yeah. games Thursday and night, this is, Sunday night, Monday night. This is more about the networks than it is the league. I mean, the league's all for the primetime windows, but the networks are paying such a premium price for these games that they want some exclusivity to what they're showing. And the more games they can put on in prime time, the more they can charge for advertising, the more eyeballs they're going to have on their product, uh, in theory, anyway. And, and this is ESPN and ABC's effort to do just that on Monday night, own the night, uh, just like NBC owns the, uh, the Sunday night games. And, and ESPN can add one game to the night they already have exclusivity so, with. So you've got 16 games, right? Take away four for two Monday nights, Sunday night, Thursday night, you're down to 12. Take away four for a big bye week, you're down to eight. You got eight on Sunday afternoon. Take away one and put it in, in Europe, and it's <laughs> Sunday morning, you've got seven on Sunday afternoon. And if you put three in the uh, late afternoon slot, you've got four left for Sunday for noon afternoon, kickoff. noon kickoff. One o'clock Eastern that kickoff, feels yeah. feels a little... Yeah, but there there have been weeks where the afternoon games are two, two or three games, you yeah. know, and and two feels real thin there. But they could turn that almost into an exclusive window there too. You've got one big Dallas game and one other regional game. So what we know about week two in the the prime time slots: Thursday night football will be Chiefs and Chargers. They've already previously announced that through Amazon Prime. That will be the week two Thursday night football game. Again, the week one Thursday night game is an NBC Sunday night football broadcast. And from Chiefs Chargers on Thursday, it leads you into what we now know as Monday night uh, with the doubleheader that night with Titans, Bills, Eagles, Vikings. We'll find out the Sunday night football slate on Thursday morning of this week. And in between, we'll get CBS and Fox announcing some marquee matchups as well. Um, what, what a scene in Miami yesterday for F1 and the Miami Grand Prix. Um, normally, <laughs> I, uh, I roll my eyes at all the, the, the pomp and circumstance and the money that takes place for F1 uh, and how the reality show and, and the production value on Netflix has fed into um, on th this becoming such a, a big deal here in the States as it is worldwide. <clears throat> but here's the overhead shot of Hard Rock Stadium, down in Miami Gardens for the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, Verstappen won yesterday, spoiler alert. And you see the water and, and how they've built this. They were building this. For those not familiar with the footprint, Paul and I can appreciate this as many of you can if you, if you are familiar with the, the way the Dolphin Stadium is set up. This is just straight parking lots. And, and what that they, ain't water. And what they've built over the course of the last nine months is a three-mile track around this area, around the Hard Rock Stadium area, and they've, they've built in and manufactured the aerial shots to fit a Florida theme. But yes, Paul, you're right. That's not water. Uh, the boats are real, but here are the boats sitting on the water. And, and that's painted plywood. Yes, and then here is um, just proof that it's just plywood is uh, a guy just laying on the, doing a, a live hit on the... <laughs> That's pretty good by him. ...on the news. Um, I, the, the locals, the, the, those covering the race are embarrassed by this. But keep in mind, unless you're right up next to this, the aerial shots aren't going to show you how fake this actually looks in person. Nope. 
So the, the production elements from the drone footage is what they're going for. And the grand finale where they're handing out the, uh, the, the trophies on the stage in front of the Hard Rock stage. I mean, it's just, I thought it was a job well done. They, they have signed on with F1 for a 10-year agreement. Um, so for the next decade, they're going to have uh, this race, the Miami Grand Prix, on the circuit. And I, I think it's also important to note the drivers, for the most part, were com- very pleased with the course itself. There's some minor tweaks that that uh, and and some, uh, for lack of a better word, some adjustments that need to be made that uh, drivers were talking about post race. But everyone was pleased with the way ev- this this race ran um, from start to finish and the organized and, and general sense of the, the crew that put this together. They were with it. Um, we, we know that the Indy series they have the Grand Prix in Nashville that's coming up in August. Um, this. For, for what it's worth, all these different cities, Paul, we're talking about this from an NFL perspective or a big event perspective. Vegas is next up on this circuit. And then, of course, Austin also has their race. If you're trying to one-up everyone, there's no telling what Vegas has to live up to now because Miami and the money that they've put into this, it paid off yesterday. This brought, uh, you know, I read a great story about it, The Ringer, American Spectacle to... Uh, you know, it was Super Bowl-esque, March Madness-esque, star power. You know, uh, Jordan, Brady were there. I don't think they were at the Derby. We didn't see pictures of I didn't of see that. photos of them at the Derby. Right. Pharrell, David Beckham, Venus, and Serena. Uh, this is a little bit overstated to call Beckham GOAT. He's not, <laughs> a, he's not on the list of the top 50 soccer players of all time, but I get that people were excited because two of them clearly there. Internationally, um, if you show this photo, everyone knows the four in the photo. Them. Yes. Um, they really uh, was, was just magnificent. And the, the thing about it is it's a lifestyle of the rich and famous thing, right? Oh, no doubt. It's, it, it is the cheapest in was 600 bucks, and really most of it was 1200 bucks. And you did not get a great seat with no. a $600 ticket. Yeah, you were just right. You in, needed 1200 to get a, a, a seat from which you could really see anything. This is... Monte Carlo brought to America. If you wanted a seat in the grandstands for the start-finish line, it was $14,000 a ticket. Which is ridiculous. But that's what it is. It is a money and status event. And so for us, we watch it or look at these pictures and read about it. (laughs) But Americans like that kind of thing sometimes to look at it. It's not unlike... The Derby, though, we have a hope of going to the Derby as a one-off. I don't know if you have a hope of going to this as a one-off, and I'd still choose the Derby, and we'll talk about the Derby later. Yeah, yeah. But pretty glitzy, pretty spectacular. And then some of the sidelights you have here, there's a debate about what guys can wear as underwear and jewelry because of fire hazards. So Hamilton shows up at the Friday (laughs) press conference wearing every bit of jewelry he can because he's trying to make a statement about he should be able to wear jewelry in his car. You know, well, that's a pretty funny <laughs> debate that connects to all of this, where he's wearing probably several million dollars of jewelry to the press conference. I don't know. I didn't think it would get me, and I'm not into it. Also, has any show ever done anything for a sport more than Drive to Survive, which I think is a Netflix series? And they've just added has on done a fifth to and sixth get season. people into this. I, I cover some sports writers who had nothing. I cover. I follow some sports writers on Twitter who had nothing, no skin in the game, no interest in this, who watched that show and now get up early to watch European races in this circuit and have 
like skin in the game. They have drivers. They know engineers and, and directors and stuff in this circuit. That show was wondrous for them. They could never have anticipated I agree. I agree. And the key to it, the, the hook for me is the access that you feel like, I'll say the, the, the American pro sports, you know, the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, NHL, anything in the States, I feel like would be over-edited and meticulously combed through, right? Where the right of the final refusal on, right. I want Edit. this pulled from the show. I don't get a sense that that's happening a lot. And there's some mega stars. Fights and... Uh, and, and the brands involved owners. in all this, right? They, they let them go at it. And it's been, I, it's been a Including boon within their own teams. For them, a boon. Yeah. Um, I know the PGA is trying to do more of this on tour. Again, I, I think if... if <laughs> I mean, in, on the F1 show, the Mickelson saga would have played out in that series. Yes. I'm not so sure the PGA would let that on film. That, that's my point here. That, that's the hook for me is F1. If they do some editing, it's very minor because what they show sometimes, I'm like, I can't believe they let this pass through the show. We stopped watching it. It's not, great. Uh, just because we kind of, I don't know, never got back to it. But the four or five episodes that we watched in my house, we liked. It was, it was compelling. Here's what F1 needs next. And this is a soccer similarity. We're kind of getting there in soccer where Pulisic and some other guys are good enough to be at that level. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he won a European championship with Chelsea, and he was a factor. Imagine if there's an American driver in this, in the top, that finishes in the top 10 in this race. And, there aren't, and the field is pretty small. What is it, 14, 17 in, in most Roughly, races? Yeah. If you have an American driver that becomes America's driver and you're not picking a guy from Europe or South America or Asia or wherever – and there's an American guy for America to get behind, and all of a sudden you might get up to watch a race, or you get up to see the highlights of a race and see how the American does who's competitive at this. I think that would yank it to a whole nother level also. Because you look at tennis, that's what's downshifted tennis so much. There's no American in, You're men, right. in men's tennis who's a factor anymore, and it's been a generation of that. Imagine I, a generation of American being good at this. And getting to know them behind the scenes to a, a level that we just don't see traditionally. Um, and I, I, let's say this about Miami. Miami yesterday had uh, officials on hand from the World Cup, from FIFA. They're trying to host the World Cup in 2026, being one of those host cities, and they wanted to see the, the carnival landscape that they could put on. Um, the CEO for the Dolphins said, no, we're not making money this year off this race. Ask me a year from now and ask me in 2026 whenever they really show off that, that venue. They must have spent a fortune to get it if they're not making money with the prices that we just talked well, about. Well, they had they spent, um, they spent nine months where every day they had between 600 and 1,000 workers on site building out this track and everything that you saw. And then... Everything is removed except for, of course, the new pavement and uh, a couple of other things around the stadium itself. So you just kind of you piece it together within the framework that they have built for next year. Next year will be a lot easier. Yeah. yeah in theory, that's, that's their thought on that. Um, it, it's, it was a huge success. And again, round of applause to them because I thought it looked great. Limit, they limited the, the fans to 85,000. 
So it's not like this traditional, like you have 300,000 fans on hand for, you know, one of these massive NASCAR races or um, the Indy 500. There were, it's very little to do with the fans and more about the TV spectacle of it all. I don't know exactly what the pavilion area is, but apparently the pavilion area was I think that stays, overloaded. I think that stays around. Yeah, and Vegas is building a, a permanent pavilion from what I read. Coming up, uh, we will get into some NFL discussion on rookies entering the league with a lot of expectations based on offseason trades, trailing Burks, along with what Kansas City and Green Bay have done. We'll, we'll discuss Sky Moore, Christian Watson, and Traylon Burks coming up. And we'll get into the Texas Rangers discussing Yankee Stadium as a minor league ballpark. And the Kentucky Derby finish was outstanding. We'll discuss what it all means long-term for that race. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up, Darren McCarty will join us. Four-time Stanley Cup champ will be on Outkick 360. Two to five central, three to six eastern, daily across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. From 6th and Peabody, we broadcast live here each and every day with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. A quick note about Major League Baseball. Jessica Kleinschmidt is tweeting out that the uh, Major League Baseball has announced a partnership and a commitment to hold major events in London over the next five years, and that includes regular season games in 2023, 24, and 26. I don't know why uh, they, w- they wouldn't play regular season games in 2025 and 2027, other than maybe the venues are booked for where they want to play there, but... They're taking some series to London, which Paul probably means the Yankees are headed to London. Well, they've been. Yanks and Red Sox opened in London a couple of years ago, and the uh, field was not a good dimension. And I'm saying like a regular basis, you know, oh. like the, the marquee series or whatever in the U.K. I don't know why you need to take the marquee series. Uh, I think expats over there would go to, to anything. But, I, I mean. It won't be the Orioles. Yeah, it won't be the Orioles. But, I mean, I think you could take a lot of, a lot of uh, different teams. Take the Dodgers. Um, you know, the thing is that next year, starting next year, they go to a balanced schedule. And so there, aren't, there isn't as much Yankees-Red Sox inventory. There isn't as much Cubs-Cardinals inventory. So those games become more valuable. Yankees-Red Sox, I think, less willing to give up a home game out of that. So it would be interesting to see how they determine – what uh, what to take and how willing teams have to be to go along with that um, certainly helps you. Uh, I mean, spread spread your logo, spread your gospel. Yeah, and uh, they, again, they've they've committed to that over the next five years uh, in Major League Baseball games in London, and uh, we'll we'll get more on that later in the week. Coming up later today, uh, John Morant not expected to play in Game Four as the Grizzlies take on. Uh, the the Warriors tonight in Game Four out in San Francisco. Jordan Poole not facing league discipline for pulling on uh, Ja Morant's knee, and that will be what keeps him out. If in fact he cannot play in Game Four, a major hit to the Grizzlies roster down two one 
currently in that series. Uh, we'll get into that, plus James Bradbury is a free agent cornerback now, the Giants making that official and releasing him, and our thoughts on the Kentucky Derby finish. Uh, but, Paul, there have been um, plenty of storylines across the league this offseason, the NFL. Uh, in a column I wrote at Outkick.com, which I, I posted earlier today, the NFL offseason has produced a lot of wide receiver movement. That's how I would define it. The quarterbacks have been crazy top to bottom, but the wide receiver movement will either dictate moving forward that we'll see an adjustment to the market rate, the going rate of these guys, or we see other teams follow suit based on what happens in, in Las Vegas, what happens in Miami with them going all in for their guy, what happens in Philadelphia with A.J. Brown and paying those guys. If it pays off, most of the time in a copycat league, you go with that, especially if you have some young receivers. Do teams invest more in wide receiver or invest less and go the route of what we've seen from the Chiefs and the Packers and the Titans? There have been other examples, but three big ones where all three of those teams traded away their top guy and have replaced them with one of the top receivers in the draft. However, I want to start with Kansas City and Sky Moore. Second round pick, and in fact, the sixth wide receiver selected in the second round. Kansas City was able to trade back four spots and still ended up with Sky Moore, uh, who I, I, I maintain, it, certain guys just fit well with organizations, and I give the benefit of the doubt based on the team that drafts them. And uh, the example I used in the piece at Outkick was last year with Trey Lance. It, it didn't matter to me if Trey Lance or Mac Jones was the pick at three to San Francisco. I was confident in the fact that they were going to play within the Kyle Shanahan and San Francisco offense and that they could have success. I feel the exact same way about Sky Moore, who brings some versatility um, to that offense, and that the versatile offense fits his skill set very well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he landed in an excellent spot. And uh, if I feel better about him there than I would have felt about him in a lot of other spots. 5'10", 195, not everybody loves that in Kansas City. Um, you know, It's worshipped. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. if you're telling me where could a small yeah. wide receiver... No one mentions his size when he goes to KC. Yeah, where could a small, fast, wide receiver excel? Um, if you're giving me the league to choose from, Kansas City would probably be a top, top three spot. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a good pick. I, I don't know how – the question to me on guys that I think will have a quick impact is how quick, uh, how quickly will he uh, be an influence on their offense. I don't think they're under extreme pressure there because they added some veterans in Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling. They still have Kelsey. And they still have Kelsey. Um you know, someday Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to run the football. <laughs> I, I actually don't believe that. I said that, I said that kind of as a joke. Well, maybe once or twice. Yeah, well, once or twice a season. Yeah. But also, it kind of depends on what's their schedule or early. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, by the time the season's over, he will have made a significant contribution in that bunch. And look, Tyreek Hill's stuff is not going to be replaced by one guy. It's going to be replaced by several guys, and he's going to be one of those guys. I don't have a doubt. I have a doubt about uh, Christian Watkins in Green Bay, and I know everybody thinks that he's the same kind of fit. Oh, put him with Aaron Rodgers and everything will work out. He wasn't massively productive at South Dakota State, and it's lesser competition that he's going against. North Dakota State, I keep doing that. Um, 
so yeah, he's got the cold weather thing down for, for, for certain. That's not something you're worried about with him. Um, it's a little bit like looking at, at Malik Willis. You know, you, you, yeah. you just have to look at the traits and see that he did the things he could do. He's a much bigger guy, obviously. What's that, 6'4", six, six, four, four. 208? But I think he's raw, and it's going to take some time, and they're going to have to draw up specific things that will work for him in the context of what they're doing. And maybe part of it's that I watched Dylan Radens fail up close out of the same school, and I know he had a COVID final season that was only one game. But I'm, I'm more scared of, of this guy for a team that hasn't had great success replenishing wide receiver that didn't go for one of the bigger school guys earlier that could have. They're very confident, obviously, in this being a big part of their solution. Outsider with far less information, I'm less confident about he, it. So he's, he's known for the chunk yardage plays at North Dakota State, and he was a riser. I, if we started this conversation on him in January – the talk would have been him on a, a late day two, early day three type guy. And then all these different evaluation processes that uh, the teams go through, he shot out like a cannon. And many had him projected as uh, the bottom of a first round type talent if, in fact, we saw the run on receiver. And we did, but it didn't get to Watson. However, Green Bay traded up and two picks into day number two. They had their guy, and I mentioned the explosive plays. He had 57 touches that went for at least 20 yards at North Dakota State. Now, But who's he running past? Touches is the key word here because at 6'4", he did more than just catch the football. He um, had over 800 all-purpose yards in each of the last three seasons at North Dakota State. There is a consistency factor there. He, He had over 50 carries in his career there. Um, He had over 30 kickoff returns for nearly 700 yards. And on top of that, yes, he he can catch the football too. He had four plays of 65 yards or more last year, and all of those went for touchdowns. Again, he is the definition, Paul mentioned, he's the definition of drafting a guy on traits. And he's got the size, he definitely has the speed, and we know he has the quarterback that's going to deliver the football in the Matt LaFleur, and I put in parentheses in my piece, I think you'll appreciate this, the Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers offense. Um, Rodgers definitely knew he was getting Watson whenever he sat down with Pat McAfee hours before the, the second round started. Yeah. Well, after the first and, round was yeah, over, he knew and, where they were going. And you know he's a big target that they desperately need after they lose Devontae Adams. But this guy's not replacing the Adams production the question is, how quickly can he come in and be a part of the production? And they, they need him to be a hit from the start. And he, here's the one thing that uh, would worry me on the production aspect of it is the drops. Uh, I, I didn't watch him play in college. I've, I've seen the highlight reels. You can make highlight reels look great on any player you want to choose from. Um, he had 15 drops over four seasons. That's in 180 targets. That's from Pro Football Focus. 15 drops over his 180 targets. 11 of those 15 drops came on his final 106 targets. Again, you can make stats fit whatever narrative you're trying to define, but that's a drop pass every 8.8 targets. That's not great. And if he comes in and starts doing that, then there's going to be issues. I will also say in his defense, 
that Jamar Chase was supposed to come in and drop a lot of passes, and all he did was set the league on fire. So the, the, there, there can be um, addendums to whatever we want to say about these rookies coming in, but there are big shoes to fill for Christian Watson within the Packers' offense, no doubt. And then there's Traylon Burks. First round, 18th overall pick out of Arkansas, where the Titans trade away A.J. Brown on draft night and draft Traylon Burks, who is compared to A.J. Brown and a lot of these, these draft guides that you would pick up and read prior to the start of round one. The Titans are betting on the rookie from Arkansas to produce immediately, just as A.J. Brown did. A.J. Brown did that over a 1,000-yard season his rookie year in 2019, went back-to-back with that production in 2020, uh, and then was hurt for a handful of games yesterday, uh, last, last year and, and did not put up the, the same type of numbers as he did the previous two years. Um, with that being said, the, the Titans will say there is no quote-unquote replacement for A.J. Brown. It better be. There is the replacement, and his name is Traylon Burks. And fairly, he will be, he will be compared to A.J. Brown, both with what A.J. does in Philadelphia and what A.J. meant to this offense in Nashville. And it's more, to me, about what he did in Nashville than what he's about to do or not do in Philly because what we saw him do in three years here where he made clutch catches, he either set up game, big game scoring drives or was on the touchdown receiving end of those big-time plays, and he did it in some big-time moments. If we're going to rehash some of the big-time highlights – of the Titans' offense over the last three years and the Ryan Tannehill production, if we're doing a top 10 uh, passing performances, A.J. Brown is on the receiving end of those passes and some really big-time catches that help them win games and, and have the, the top overall seed last year, uh, previously uh, have uh, able to host a playoff game for the first time in over a decade, and, and as we know, Paul, go to the AFC Championship game, his rookie season of 2019. There are big shoes to fill here for Trey Burks. Yeah, the guy's clearly got stud characteristics, stud size uh, at 6'2", 225. Uh, that's even you know, bigger than, than A.J. Brown. So you're looking for the same mold. Mm-hmm. But you know, can you hit twice on the same thing? This guy comes in really hot with bigger expectations. Because A.J. Brown was a second-round pick. This guy's the 18th pick. A.J. Brown came in when the Titans were going a different direction with wide receiver. They gave up on guys like Justin Hunter and Doriel Green-Beckham, who the previous regime liked. They were drafting athletes, trying to turn them into wide receivers, trying to polish them up into wide receivers. And John Robinson and then Mike Vrabel said, we're looking for wide receivers, guys who can run crisp routes, be in the right place at the right time, First and foremost. And they found some guys. Tajay Sharp was a fifth rounder. He did that well. But he wasn't particularly uh, athletically gifted. Possession guy. got your first downs. Well, A.J. Brown came in and smashed the door down. Was a whole new level of everything. But who else have they had turn into that? Corey Davis was the fifth pick in the draft. He was pretty good at times. But was he fifth pick in the draft absolutely worthy? Not. Absolutely not. So here's 18th pick in the draft. They are under high pressure, whether they want to say it or not, to turn this guy into something big, big like his body and quick. 
And they talk patience all the time. I talked to John Robinson at the owners' meetings when I was visiting with you guys from, from Palm Beach. And he said, I was asking him about the track record of these guys not developing. He's like, of course, you want the most, the fastest. But if you don't get it, you got to take your time. And they, they, if, he's, if they're talking to us six weeks in about taking their time from Trey Burks, the city's going to be ablaze because they wouldn't have had to take in any time for A.J. Brown. And, and if, if six weeks in, they're not getting production from the wide receiving core, they're only getting it from Robert Woods. They did it to themselves. Uh, over money, and they're not going to be very good on offense. It's going to be a defensive football team with Derrick Henry running, and mm -hmm. where's the play-action stuff off of that? Who's catching it? So, huge expectations. They, this is a draft pick who's coming in with huge, immediate expectations, not this, well, we're hopeful that he'll be productive early, but if he's not, we're patient with our guys. That's not going to fly. I, I like he, he is he is about Traylon Burks is about effort and finish. And if you hear Mike Vrabel discuss any position, those are two key words he will mention in what he wants out of his players that are on his fifty-three man roster or his training camp roster. Effort and finish. That's Burks. If you watch him, if we did at, in the SEC, can he carry that over and be that instant hit? like A.J. was. They need that within this offense. They need him in camp. No hamstring, right. no groin, right. no calf, none of these things that a lot of their receivers wind up with. Um, and I'm sure they have him on a program already. Um, and they need to have all of their people on something different because last year, particularly receivers, were struggling. But A.J. and Julio Jones were at the head of that. But Nick Westbrook, Aquina had one, and – Marcus Johnson had two that ended his season, and they went very deep into a receiver pool that, you know, was okay depth-wise. They're not, they're not deep now. No. They're young. No, and they, they, their depth was not great last year when they had to turn to them. When A.J. was out, three of – and everyone has a bottom five passing performances. So let me clarify this. Three of the bottom five passing performances from Ryan Tannehill were without A.J. Brown in the lineup. That's huge. Um, the others were a, a terrible performance against the Miami Dolphins at home where the offense couldn't move and uh, a previous game earlier in the year that was affected by weather. But, and they lost a lot of depth all at once where they were down to Cody Hollister oh, the game, you know, in, in one game. The, you know. the, let me, the, the Miami game I'm referencing, that was the weather game. The other game that was a bottom five passing performance was the first game without Henry and A.J. still had a couple of grabs in that game in the second half. Of that game that where he played, but without him they were nothing, and they've got to get something out of Robert Woods and and now their rookie Traylon Burks coming up. Are we about to see Magic Johnson as one of the part owners of the Denver Broncos? They're putting together a bid with an ownership group, and he's one of several celebrities that are mixing and matching their name with ownership groups trying to purchase the Denver Broncos. Details on this. Coming up on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I had a, a conversation 
a couple of weeks ago about having some skin in the game on ownership groups and, and different things. Derek Henry came to mind whenever we were discussing uh, Nashville SC as a part owner. There, we don't know how much he's investing. It's not to the level of Magic Johnson. Who, it, it, speaking of skin of the game, he's got it. Uh, where reports were he put $50 million up as part of his share in the, his group's purchase of the Los Angeles Dodgers a couple of years ago. They've now doubled that team's value, uh, that, that ownership group. They also were, were a part of a group, Magic Group, a part of a group that uh, purchased the, the Sparks, the L.A. Sparks in 2014. And now he's linked to uh, the group, the, the Harris Sports Management Group, Apollo Global Management, um, the team that, that, uh, that owns the Philadelphia 76ers. Reports are he's involved in that ownership stake trying to purchase and make the bid for the Denver Broncos, which is expected to exceed $4 billion whenever the purchase price is officially announced. I mean, he's a legit investor who's put some major money, you say $50 million into the Dodgers. That's, yeah. that's way more than a lot of these. So he's no celebrity investor. He's an investor who happens to be a celebrity. Yes. Who's got some serious money. And his movie theater stuff, I don't know how it's doing now. But once upon a time, he made some serious money. No, he's, he's got it. And will that be enough with this ownership group to get their hands on the Denver Broncos? Don't know. But we're, we're going down that path where something will be decided on the future sell price of that organization. Coming up, John Morant not expected to play the NBA playoffs and our thoughts on the Kentucky Derby finish.